This show brought to you by Circle of Seven Productions, www.cosproductions.com. Please be sure to subscribe and welcome to our circle. Well, hello, everybody. This is Patricia W. Fisher with Readers Entertainment Radio, and it is already May, which blows my mind. And this, this week has kind of messed me up because I keep thinking that Mother's Day is a week from Sunday, but it's actually Sunday. So if you're like me and didn't really soak in that last Sunday was May 1st, so the second Sunday of May is always Mother's Day, you might want to do something about that if you want to get something for the person in your life that uh, mothered you and nurtured you and cared for you. Or, you know, it could be bio mom, it could be adopted mom, foster mom, uh, really great friends, um, whomever. So celebrate those amazing women in your life. It's also Nurses Day. So the majority of people in the United States, nurse-wise, are women. It's a huge field for men to get into, and there's plenty of opportunities for men to be nurses in all sorts of fields of nursing, and women as well. Keep, I mean, we need, we need way more of them, and I was a nurse for 10 years, so I totally get it. So um, if you're thinking about any sort of career change, or if you're thinking about going into something that you know you'll always have a job, nurses, Day and we appreciate you. It's also Space Day and Tuba Day, so I don't really know how those coincide with each other. I guess if you play the tuba in space, I don't know if you'd hear it. So, um, and then tomorrow is World Naked Gardening Day, which I have never done or celebrated. But for those of you who do, have a good day. Wear sunscreen because it is also Melanoma Skin Cancer Detection and Skin Cancer Awareness Month. So. That was all a huge, big segue um, into keeping guys' uh, schedules plenty busy this this, um, week. But I also have an amazing author I wanted to tell you guys about. And it's so much fun because he's a debut author. And um, he was raised in, born and raised in New Jersey, Timothy uh, Janowski, sorry, is a queer multidisciplinary storyteller. He earned a Bachelor of Arts in both theater and dance from Mulberg College in Allentown, Pennsylvania. He studied abroad at the Academy dell'Arte in Azzero, Italy, where he spent a semester immersed in physical theater practices. Um, as a performer, he worked numerous times with well-known theater directors and choreographers. Wonderfully beautiful list. You should look at it on his website. And he's a former member of the comedy improv troupe, The Underground Improv Project, which we have performed at Mulberg College, Skidmore College, and multiple other times at ArtQuest Steel Sex in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. His work as a humor writer has been featured in Points and Case, Broadway Beat, and Well-Mannered Grump, and his work as a playwright has been showcased in stage readings at Mulberg College. His debut rom-com, Never Been Kissed, gives us a story about second chances, sweet summer nights, and the magic of love. You can find Timothy at his website, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. All of those links are in the write-up of the show. Welcome today, Timothy. How are you, sir? Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm good. So I love your website because you have this beautiful, you know, you have your name, and then you have this really great, like, two words that just describe you to the hilt, Multi, multidisciplinary storyteller. It's like you have all of these ways to tell stories. What, have you always been a storyteller? Have you come from a long line of storytellers? Um, I think for me, storytelling, so it, it wasn't until I went to college that I realized all the things that I loved had to do with 
stories. So um, when I was really young, I started to take dance class, and then I moved into theater. But I was always writing, you know, short stories and having my mom hang them up on the fridge. And, you know, I was very talkative as a child, too. So I just wanted to tell everyone about my day all the time. And so I think when I got to college, I was like, you know, I had professors that were like, if you're going to make a website, like, you got to tell people who you are in the shortest amount of words possible. And I was like, well, what do, yeah. what do all these things have in common? And the one thing that I could think of was that they're all modes of telling stories. And so right. um, I just decided that there's many disciplines and they're all storytelling. And so I would be a multidisciplinary storyteller. And so that's just kind of followed me since then. I love it. I mean, it, it just sums it up right there. Um, and you've got all these experiences through theater and not only just theater, but you've got like drama stage work, but you've also got this immersive semester you spend in Italy. Uh, what is physical theater practice? So physical theater practice is very much about more of a bodily approach to theater. So while we were there, we were basically doing contact improvisation, um, which is, you know, usually with a partner, it has a lot of weight sharing and lifting and it's a lot of trust and gravity <laughs> and falling down right. um, and, le- and learning what your body is like. But we also, while we were there, studied the traditional Italian theater of Commedia dell'arte, which is where we get um, our stock archetypes from in storytelling. So, okay. um you know, uh, the the lovers and the miser and the clown, like all the tropes that you see when you're, you know, reading a romance or if you are watching a sitcom, they're usually based on the archetypes from Commedia dell'arte. And Commedia dell'arte is very physical in the sense that um, the actors wear masks. Um, so I went to right. a mask-making workshop while I was there, and I had to, wow. um do the leather and then and it it was very intense um but they can't use their whole face so you because of the mask and so uh, you have to be able to tell a story with your whole body and your voice um and so in doing that you're basically just trying to contort yourself into different shapes that can convey emotions for those people who had to you know get the really cheap seats all the way in the back who really can't hear you um, and, and so that, that's kind of what encapsulated my semester and, and what physical theater, or at least the training practices that I went through at the Academia dell'Arte were like. Yeah, I've noticed, I took a, a class years ago, an acting class, and they talked about um, the different physical ways you present yourself on stage depending on what you're doing. The big thing that kind of pushed me way out of my comfort zone was for children's theater because everything, like you're saying, has to be physical I mean you can't just walk on stage and be I'm the wicked witch you like have to come in a certain way so the kids know immediately like you're saying if they're in the cheap seat they know immediately who you are and that's what I'm picturing as you're learning these beautiful techniques of how to physically tell your story even if you said nothing Um, and that's you know I would think that would be just a blast yeah I mean it totally was and I think too how um specifically is that like you know way back when in Italy you know in in the days of Commedia dell'arte these troops would move from town to town to town and different troops would come through and so when they're wearing the mask the mask was how the audience identified oh he's playing the same type of character in just a different story Mm -hmm. and so we don't have to um 
you know, suspend our disbelief. We don't have to learn a whole new backstory. We know essentially what these characters' qualities are. Um, and I think that definitely helped me as a, as a writer in general because it, it allows you to see and read and watch things and say, oh, my character is a little like that. Like, how, how does the yeah. actor in this movie physicalize that emotion and how can I put that on paper? Um, so I think that's very interesting. Yeah, I think it would be very uh, sometimes challenging to to translate over because I'm sure as you're writing, you're you're visualizing this being played out like a lot of writers will. Um, and as you're writing these stories, is do the masks come into play like because of this training? Oh, that's a very good question. I think the masks themselves, because they're immobile, basically, like, they, they were really, again, ways for audiences to identify, like, oh, this is a different body. It's a different actor. But right. the mask tells us that it's this character. And so for me, like, the, the, the tropes of those characters and, like, the internal qualities and their wants and needs always come into play when I'm writing because, uh, Commedia dell'arte had a way of um, kind of distilling uh, human nature down to its purest wants and needs. Like, you know, we all want food, we all want shelter, we all want money. Like, you know, these things yeah. that, you know, every character needs to fulfill in order for their story to kind of uh, take shape. And so I would definitely say that that training comes into play when I'm writing because um, it, 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 writing, even though it's putting words onto paper, it's still, like you mentioned, is a highly visual medium because it, yeah. it comes down to painting a picture for your reader and also leaving small pockets where they can fill in their own imagery. Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't even imagine how inspired you probably felt just being there because Italy itself is its own character, you know, um, which, you know, because you've been there. Um, but it's just, <laughs> uh, it, it's, seems very vi- a very vivacious place to live. Um, was oh, that your yeah. experience? Tot- Absolutely, yeah. I mean, Arezzo itself is in Tuscany, and it's a um, it's a smaller city, but it it, it is very um, community driven, and it ha- it hosts one of the the largest antique markets in Italy. And so mm-hmm. I can't remember if it was the first Sunday of every month or the or the third Sunday of every month. But you would be able to walk into town and tourists and, and, and Italian folk from all over would come to Arezzo and, and put up these tents and put out their paintings and these beautiful shaped lounges and stuff. And it was just, like, amazing to walk through the streets. And one of the things that I loved most was that um, uh, I did a lot of – I did traveling while I was there. And, you know, when you go to Rome or you go to Florence, like, most of the Italian residents there, they speak English. Um, and, and I yeah. was taking Italian uh, classes while I was there but my Italian was <laughs> not very good. Um, and so what was nice about Arezzo was that um, some of them spoke English, some of them did not. But when I went to these markets, you really didn't need to speak the same language to know mm-hmm. what they were saying. So I, I remember going up to um, a booth where a woman had repurposed old watch faces into jewelry, uh-huh. like other pieces of jewelry, like bracelets and necklaces and stuff. And at first I was a little confused because I couldn't really understand how she had done that. And so she yeah. was describing to me that I think she kind of like, she took them out and she melted them down and she worked with them using these and she's showing me these instruments. And because of the way she was telling that, uh, telling yeah. me the steps that she went through, I was still able to grasp 
pretty much everything that she was saying to me. And it, it was really beautiful because it was, it was kind of one of those things where we come to the understand that like all, all humans are able to communicate with each other. Like even if the language isn't there, like we can do it yeah. again through our bodies, through our gestures and things like that. I know when I took French in high school, um, the, my teacher said the most challenging when you know you've really got a decent grasp in languages when you can make a phone call um, because there's no physical, uh, you can't go by physical cues on the phone. So you really right. have to know what you're asking. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And uh, so I never did make a phone call. So <laughs> <laughs> there's hey, still time. I got around Paris. All right. <laughs> all good. Um, and for anybody wondering where Arezzo is, um, am I saying mm-hmm. that correctly? Okay. Um, yeah, if you Arezzo, look yeah. at Italy, okay, if you look at Italy and, like, you know, it's a boot, if it was, like, a thigh-high boot, like kinky boots, the Arezzo uh-huh. would be, like, right in the middle of the knee. So right there, about. So there you are. There's your geography lesson for today, people. So go look it up <laughs> on the map. That'll be um, <laughs> so you've got this. <laughs> you've got this training. You've done theater. So where was the catalyst that you said, "No, I think I want to write this. I want to write a book," and then figuring out what story you want to write, or was it, "I want to write this story," and then it turned into a book? Oh my gosh. Well, so I think because I gravitated towards story at a really young age, I never mm-hmm. wanted to feel tied down to one medium. I just right. was interested in, in finding it wherever I could. And so I actually started my journey towards traditional publication when I was 15. Um, okay. That is, I had written um, what I consider a novel, but was probably only 40 pages of nonsense. Um, <laughs> You've got to start uh, somewhere. <laughs> I know, yeah. Um, my, my, my dad had a coworker whose, um, partner worked in publishing and she was very, very kind, um, enough to talk to 15 year old me about how one breaks into publishing. And she said, the first thing you needed to get was an agent. And so I sent out maybe, you know, 80 to a hundred query letters, hoping somebody would, um, you know, see something in my writing and, um, someone, someone eventually did. And, um, I actually, you know, started working with my first agent at 15 and it was, it was way more of a, a mentorship type thing. She just saw, she took an interest in me and she, she thought I had talent and that, you know, I needed to grow a lot before there was going to be a book in the world, but that sure. she could teach me a lot. Um, yeah. and so, um, I, you know, obviously I was very busy with high school and then with college and going to Italy and all that stuff. And so, I picked up and put down writing, um, you know, as stories came to me. And, and I probably worked on about three novels um, with her until um, right up until around COVID time when uh, the theater industry, you know, shut down. And, and, and all industries really shut down at that time. But theater definitely shuttered the doors and, and shut off the lights and said, you know, we can't come back until it's safe for people to gather again. Um, right. And so – my only kind of creative outlet at that time was through writing because that was the solitary way that I could tell stories and and still be able to share them with other people because I could be like, Hey, like, you know, my friend, you know, I've written five chapters of this new book. Like, are you interested in reading it? And we could share that story uh, together. And so actually I, so my, my debut novel, Never Been Kissed is 
actually not the book that I was writing, but during COVID time, <laughs> I was, um, uh, the, the, my, my, my um, book deal came about in, in kind of a roundabout way, but my second novel, which is going to come out in October, that's called You're a Mean One, Matthew Prince, which is a Christmas rom-com. Uh, that's the book that I had been writing as my comfort story during the very beginning of the pandemic um, and is the okay. book that got me my book deal. Um, and so okay. a, a, after after that time, um, you know, once I decided that I was going to be working with my publisher and I met my editor, we had a discussion about, you know, um, writing a story that had a little bit more of a broader appeal as opposed to a Christmas novel being my debut only because, you know, it, it's more of a niche audience for, for um, holiday holiday stories and so right. that's how never been kissed uh came about and I, I pitched her a story about a struggling drive-in and a second chance romance and and then i just got to work i mean it's it, it is the cutest cover and i mean it is so lovely and it just came out a third um so if you have a mom out there or somebody that loves a really sweet rom-com um you should absolutely pick it up and it's about um ren and he's never been kissed, but he wants that movie perfect ending more than anything, right? So did you name him Ren from Footloose? I'm thinking yes. <laughs> yes, I mean, partially. <laughs> I, I think the funny thing is, is that people um, in my subconscious, I will do things that I internalized, you know, from my childhood, you know, watching Footloose, you know, on the VHS that I rented from Hollywood Video or whatever. Oh, and gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I wasn't I don't think I did it intentionally. It wasn't until one of my friends was reading the book and, and, and was reading a later chapter where Ren makes like this big impassioned speech, you know, in front of the town and everything and they're like, This is just like Ren and Footloose, like you named him after Ren and Footloose. I was like, Subconsciously I think I did but on the regular yeah. level it was pure coincidence. <laughs> that is so funny. It's like um if anybody's a Marvel fan Peter Quill and Guardians of the Galaxy is like all about Footloose. It's like it's the best movie ever. I keep keep talking about it. Poor guy is not, he's not been, and he's a great movie. I think it's fun. Um, And I remember actually seeing years ago, you know, I won't say how old I was, but when the original, like Kevin Bacon came out, and I remember sitting in the theater Uh because it was a trailer. And this trailer, the trailers used to be like, I don't know, minute, minute and a half. This trailer was like Uh two and a half minutes. And I remember sitting there and my friend's mom was sitting there and she looked over at me. She goes, well, we basically just seen the whole movie. <laughs> they just kept playing it. All of these dance scenes. Yeah. They were like, well, apparently they get to dance somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, well, it's fun. You know, the whole David and Goliath yes. type um, storyline, uh, taking on the, the status quo and all. It's It's a good story. I mean, it's a good thing that we need to keep coming back to because – if anybody's been paying attention, <laughs> got a lot of work to do um, socially. And exactly. But we won't yeah. have that conversation today because we're going to talk about your fabulous book. Um, so you got this story going, and where did this come up? I mean, where did you you came up with the your mean one um, for your first book? But that's going to come out in October. So this, mm-hmm. how did are, are they are the characters related? Are they are they standalone? Uh, is there any overlap at all? Sure. So, yeah, they are standalone novels, so they are kind of completely independent of one another. But um, since they're kind of part of a little 
like new adult universe that I'm creating. So the characters are a okay. similar age, they're similar themes, um, similar, you know, locations. Um, Never Been Kissed takes place in Pennsylvania and your mean when Matthew Prince takes place in Massachusetts. So, you know, we're, we're in the, we're in the Northeast, um, but they are standalone sure. novels. And, um, you know, my editor and I just kind of just threw around some ideas of, of what, what my debut might look like. And I had always been toying around with this, you know, hopeless romantic character that was kind of a little bit of a 22 years old, but a little bit of a grandpa. Um, and so <laughs> I was like, uh, you know, I think I want to tell a story about, some kids that work at a drive, you know, not kids, but young adults who work at a drive-in over the sure. summer because during COVID times, um, I really love going to the movies. I've always loved going to the movies and, you know, right. movie theaters were shut down and I, I was feeling a really big disconnect. And luckily, um, the area of Pennsylvania that my partner lives in, there are three drive-in movie theaters within driving distance. Um, and they saw major, major bumps during COVID because they were allowed to be open. Um, and even in, yeah. in the fall and the winter when it got cold, people, you know, you'd turn on the heat in your car and, and you could watch a, a new release movie or an old movie, too, because we saw some old ones. And I went for the first time and I just thought to myself, like, there needs to be a rom-com set here. There's something really magical yeah. about this. And now I think I think for me, <laughs> I think that also ties into my um, – I spent a lot of time in the musical section in my Hollywood video and, you know, I had a deep love of Greece when I was young. And so I'm sure that made mm-hmm. an impression too um, when I, when I walked into the drive-in. And so I was just really happy when my editor said, yeah, let's do it. Like, let's do this drive-in movie book. And so I went away and, and I, and I wrote the novel and now it is out in an actual book form, which is still very wild to me. Isn't that, yeah. have you gone to the bookstore yet to find it? Yes, on Tuesday when it came out, I so I was lucky enough. I have um, a local indie in Pennsylvania that I'm I work closely with called Let's Play Books Bookstore, and they were kind enough to have me come and do like a pre-launch event for um, Independent right. Bookstore Day. Um, so I had seen the finished copies, like I had signed books, people had bought them, and that was really cool. But on release day, I took myself to Barnes and Noble and was like, I'm just going to see if it's here. And, you know, I found it on the rom-com table and it, it was very nice. Uh-huh. And, um, the kind booksellers there let me sign the copies and we took pictures. I mean, it was wonderful. You know, it's, it's fun because every time I interview someone or friends of mine have their books out, I will go look for them at the bookstore. And for anybody listening, honestly, you would think that authors get tired of people, you know, taking pictures of their books in these different bookstores, even if the book's like five years old, they don't because it takes a lot of work to put that book together. It's not something you just slap together in a weekend. So if you see a book that you love and you want to tag the author, please do it because they really, really, really appreciate it. And so if you see Timothy's book out, um, take a picture and tag him on Facebook and Instagram and he's on TikTok and um, you can send it to him on his website, and I've got all those links in the write-up of the show. So you can even sign up to his newsletter because it's all there. So very cool. Um, and then, so you've got all this going on. You've got this next book coming out. Do you have more brewing? I I do, yeah. So so I'm finishing currently, like in my final round of edits for your mean one, Matthew Prince. So. I, I got to get that under my belt first so that this little Christmas rom-com can come out in October, which, you know, feels early for Christmas, but I think everyone can, um, we can bypass uh, Halloween this year and go straight for the holidays. 
Um, okay, um, yeah. but then as long as we get the candy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we'll still get the candy completely. <laughs> Always do the candy. They'll just mark it, mark it on Always. sale in advance. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, <laughs> I am contracted to do um, uh, one more new adult rom-com with uh, my team at Source Books Casablanca. Um, and so it's not formally announced yet, so we don't have too, too many details, but I will say that it is currently, um, so I did my love of movies with Never Been Kissed. I did my love of all things holiday with um, Your Mean One, Matthew Prince. And in this next book, I'm going to do my love of kind of this little, um, kind of like a magical uh, kind of thing. And so it's a little bit of a play on uh, 13 going on 30. And so there'll be more details oh, wow. soon, but that is what I'm working on right now. Wow. I, it's just, it's fun to go back. I mean, and it's funny because my daughter, she's, I have four kids and they're all teens basically. And so my eldest is in college and she'll say, Hey mom, have you heard this Miss movie? And I'm like, yeah, that came out like 25 years ago. <laughs> like this old movie? I'm like, yes, an old movie. Um, so, About 13 yeah, going on 30? Yeah, this old movie. I'm like, mm, oh yeah, no, <laughs> I know, I know. She does, and she, does, she obviously doesn't need it in a in a bad way, uh, but it's just kind oh, of funny, funny the perspective of it. Because when I mm. think of old movies, I'm thinking like Philadelphia Story with, um, you know, Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and she's no. thinking you know, a Roman holiday, and she's thinking like the 1990s. Like, God, wow, okay. <laughs> yeah, I've had a lot of interesting conversations recently with um, readers and and family members and friends who've picked up copies of Never Been Kissed because there are just, this book is just like filled with movie references and Easter eggs and and plot similarities to these movies because Ren is the main character is a film studies major and he's just a movie lover. He's got a VHS collection. He loves to listen to vinyl record. Like, I mean, he's just kind of an old soul. And so it's funny. The younger readers are like, what's your got mail? And the older readers are oh, like, what's to all the boys I've loved before? And I'm like, yes. we, I'm, I'm yeah. hoping the book bridges the gap a little bit, right? Gets someone interested in something maybe they hadn't heard of prior. So it's, it's funny you say that because there's certain things that, um, I have to still explain to my children uh, about technology, like even watching mm-hmm. Friends. You know, it was out in the mid '90s. They're on the they're on the um, the cordless phones, right? And so they'll mm-hmm. be like, "Where were you? I couldn't. You know, we've been trying to find you. We've been all over the city trying to find you." And and I know one of my kids said, "Why don't they just call them?" I'm like, "Because they didn't have cell phones. <laughs> like they weren't <laughs> there." Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, or uh, I told our uh, yeah, we would just go and sit at our friend's house, and we'd be back eventually. It's like, well, how did your parents find you? I'm like, uh, we just we came home. <laughs> <laughs> we knew where it was. <laughs> yeah, we know. You know, parents are good. So it's just it's very interesting how things have shifted, like you're talking about. So seeing all these different movies, sometimes we have to stop it and say, oh, okay, well. This is what this was. Um, or recently, Ewan McGregor was on Graham Norton. And if anybody's never watched Graham Norton, he's this phenomenal um, British show, talk show host. But he has this wonderful format where he brings all the guests out at the beginning of the show. And it's all for the live audience. And he has beverages, spirits. 
alcohol, and everybody, if they want to, they can drink. And, man, the stories just fly. It's fantastic. So but he was had Ewan McGregor on recently and was talking about the kids recognize him without his beard. And he said yes, and then he said he was chasing down this young guy. He ran a stop sign. And he said he pulled up to the light, and he rolled down his he, – he was rolling down his window, and he's literally doing the hand crank sign. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, he tells the story, and the guy there goes, man, you look so cool until right then. <laughs> so it's like, oh, yeah, the hand crank. That's right. Yeah, we used to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Oh, nostalgia's fun. I mean, it's just yeah. it's fun. But, um, but I love all the movie references. Um, like going through the vinyl, you can see Pretty in Pink, and you talk about like Footloose, and you talk about me the drive-in, and and you're right, the drive-ins had a huge surge um, during COVID, and still are. I mean, here in Texas, we have decent weather all year that you can usually go, except like the heat of the summer, you really have to wait till the seven thirty show. Um, mm-hmm. But even then, it's just um, it's a whole different experience. If no one's ever gone to a drive-in, you really should because it's a whole different way to watch a movie um, because it's not just the movie. It's everything around you that's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think my favorite part of writing this book was doing the very hard research of going to different drive-ins and, you know, watching movies and checking out the concession stands. And one of my favorite memories was, um, and I didn't even know this drive-in existed until I was like working on the book was there is a um, volunteer-run drive-in. In, it's called the Mahoning Drive-In. It's in Pennsylvania. And um, I talk about this a little bit in the book, but, you know, it, it, probably in the 2010s, I'm, I'm forgetting since I wrote this book forever ago, but, um, the, you know, the switch to digital happened. So people, movie theaters mm-hmm. weren't showing movies on film reels anymore. They were basically pulling movies from the cloud and just, you know, showing them digitally. And drive-ins really had to decide, like, film studios were no longer printing their movies on film reels. So it was either you go digital or you close. And the Mahoney right. drive-in said, well, we don't have the money to go digital. So what do we do? And they decided to be a vintage only drive-in movie theater. And so wow. they only show old movies. They do zombie weekend. They do Tom Hanks weekend. They do like these movies that you get to see like in the original form that the studio meant you to see them in on the 35 millimeter film. And um, volunteers come from, like, as far away as, like, Maryland and Connecticut to come and volunteer there for the weekend. They sleep in the concession stand, um, some of them. And it's just incredible. I mean, they have a VHS store inside their concession stand. They sell vinyls. Um, and they even let me come into the production booth and showed me how they, they uh, you know, uh, reel up the film and how they have to switch between two different projectors so that the movie can continuously keep showing at the halfway mark. I mean, it was just right. it was just a very cool experience. I mean, that's something I don't think people really think about because, yeah, they used to, like, the Tuesday of the week, and then mm-hmm. you could show it to some of the people who work there. You'd have the previews, and then, of course, you could set it up and get ready for um, Friday or Thursday night. But, yeah, now it's all digital. So they just shoot it right at you. Um, whole other yeah. experience. But, yeah, we we ended up um, – it was last May, I think, um, Godzilla vs. King Kong came out. And, by the way, I'm a huge Godzilla fan. And I've seen them all, like all of them. And so 
my kids are properly addicted to, you know, bad monster movies. And so we absolutely were hitting the drive-in that night for um, King Kong versus Godzilla. It was, it was so much fun to sit out there and watch that go on. It was one of those movies that you really don't have to know what they're saying. Because really all you're just there is for, you know, Godzilla and King Kong. It really doesn't matter. So mm-hmm. it's fantastic. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a spectacle every time. Creatures. Every time, every time. And so to hear about a vintage drive-in, that just sounds fantastic. Um, are you thinking you're going to go back and maybe do, like, based on that? Or is the drive-in that you're in now more like a piece of that for the Never Been Kissed? So I think, yeah. So in Never Been Kissed, I was actually, so I, I wasn't fully familiar with the Mahoning at the time. The, the drive-in that inspired Never Been Kissed is called Shankweiler's Drive-In which is in Orfield, Pennsylvania, and they are one of the oldest operating drive-ins in the country. So the oldest wow. continuously okay. operating drive-in. And, you know, they started out as pretty much like, you know, <laughs> two poles in a sheet um, and yeah. then became what they are today. Um, and so, so, so that's really what inspired me. And, and the book talks about the expenses it costs the drive-in to go digital and how hard it is yeah. to compete with, all the different streaming services and how we have IMAX and 3D and all this stuff now. Um, and so I, I found out about the Mahoning Drive-In a little bit later into my book process, and it was a little too late to go back and kind of retrofit everything um, in that sure. regard. Um, but, I mean, I will definitely go back to that drive-in and support them because I think, one, they expose new audiences to new movies, all the to- old movies all the time, which I think is awesome. There are so sure. many movies that you just kind of forget about over time because – you know, you're like, oh, I should watch that. Everyone's seen it. And then all of a sudden you just, it blanks out of your mind. Um, but the interesting thing is that there is a kind of, there's like a save the drive-in plot and never been kissed. Um, and, you know, not to spoil anything, but they come up against, you know, kind of the, the, the enemy of the story. And mm-hmm. in kind of an art imitates life thing, the Mahoning drive-in actually right after I went there while I was working on my final edits for never been kissed was also facing closure um, at the hands of kind of a solar farm that wanted to move in and buy the land out from under them. Um, oh, wow. And the town okay. was basically saying, like, yeah, well, we want the solar farm. We don't need your drive-in. And, you know, they had these impassioned fans that rallied around the drive-in and, you know, went to the town meeting. And, and you know, it's still opening. It, it opened again this summer, and, and it, hopefully it will be open for many, many years to come. Um, so in, in a way, that drive-in theater both inspired me and ripped off my story <laughs> so, um, in real life. Um, sure. But, sure. yeah. And interestingly enough, the Shankweilers drive-in, the original one that inspired the story, is now for sale, um, which, no, I don't have millions of dollars to buy a drive-in theater, but um, I know sure. my characters. That would, that would be a dream for them. So. Wow. I, that would be fun, though, because, I mean, I don't know what the overhead would be. I mean, I have to certainly look at it, but I mean, it's, it's obviously more mm-hmm. than people would think it would be, but I mean, it would be fun to be able to, oh, completely. <laughs> what do you do? Oh, I, I uh, get to show movies all day long. That's my job. So, yeah. So if anybody, if anybody's interested, it's Mahoning drive-in theater. It's all one word. M A H O N I N G drive-in theater on Instagram. So it's, and then it's also Mahoning drive-in dot ticketleap.com for anybody who's interested in looking that up and see what they've got going on um next time you want to you're in the northeast and you're thinking about you, you want to go see a drive-in movie so there you go um and so 
I was going to, to turn a little bit because the characters you have, uh, your main characters are both men in the story. Mm-hmm. How important was it to you? Because I know there's been a lot of discussion within the, ro- the romance, in Romance Landia about, um, you know, couples and, and stories that aren't told as often. Um, did you mm-hmm. ever feel any pressure to write something more quote-unquote traditional versus um, the characters that spoke to you? Sure. So, I mean, I think at the end of the day, when I started writing, you know, and I got my first agent at 15, I was writing, uh, you know, quote unquote, more traditional pairings, you know, whether male, female, or, or there was no romance or you know, what, what have you. And I think over the time of, of, of working with uh, my agent and an editor, I grew more and more comfortable where they, they basically, you know, sat me down and said, like, your voice is what makes you unique and your stories are yours to tell what makes you unique. And so, you know, not to distill anything down, but to say that, you know, I really do think it's important, especially for young queer LGBTQ men to read stories that reflect their lived experiences, um, especially written by people who have gone through those experiences because they are unique and they are important. And, And I do really truly believe in the power of a story to be able to uplift a person or make a person feel Mm -hmm. left alone, um, even if it's just a really minuscule part of that, because, you know, they are two men falling in love. And and in in this case, two very, um, very emotional and very vulnerable young men. I actually thought it was very interesting, a very kind uh, friend, author friend of mine, Lynn Painter, um, she she put out a book uh, last year called Better Than the Movies and a book this year called Mr. Wrong Number, wrote me this incredible Mm -hmm. blurb where she basically said that, um, you know, to to quote her briefly, she said, a cast of romantic human beings who are strong because of their um, romantic human nature. And it doesn't idolize Mm -hmm. toughness and masculinity over the ability to kind of be vulnerable. And and I I think um, in this day and age, it's we we need some softness in our lives. And so I wanted to serve that up for any reader who had been craving that and had maybe not seen themselves in the pages of a book before. Well, I mean, it is a chance you take to open yourself to um, your relationships and like and love and, and for anybody. And so mm-hmm. I know some people feel, you know, some people might say, oh, that's just emotions and blah, blah, blah. But it takes a strong person to say, you know what, I'm willing to try, I'm willing to open my heart up, and I might really get creamed, I might really get hurt, um, but if I don't, I'm going to regret it. And so for you mm-hmm. to lay this wonderful story out for these guys to find that happily ever after um, is, yeah, you're right, it needs to be told, those stories need to be heard, because they do happen. And people need to know that, you know, these, like you're saying, a young man out there is going to read this and go, wow. Or even more so, um, a possible family member or an ally who may not quite understand, but maybe they read this and go, oh, okay, yeah, that's, that's what love is. And so I think mm-hmm. it's just yeah. important um, for all of us. It's not a book for people who are in the LGBT community to read, it's a book for everyone to read. 
if they want a good story. Exactly. That's just how it is. Yeah, I completely um, agree with that. And I and I yeah. I think too. I mean, some of the most gratifying messages that I've gotten too. You know, I got a message from you know a mom who who had an LGBTQ son that said. You know, um, one of the characters in the book identifies as demisexual, and for any listeners out there, that is an identity on the asexual spectrum where, you know, you, you, uh, romantic attraction comes first and sexual attraction comes later, if at all. And mm-hmm. who sent me, a, you know, sent me an email saying, I think my son was trying to explain this to me, basically, you know, like, I, I think, you know, like, I, I can have a better understanding of what the world might look like for, you know, these people in my life, I'm actually not sure that she it was her child, now that I'm remembering, but she basically was saying, like, I didn't even know this was a thing. And this yeah. work of fiction made me go onto the internet and Google and listen to a podcast. And now that I know this, I feel better equipped to help the young people in my life who maybe need someone to talk to. And I can also hand them this book and say, here, maybe you want to read this. We can talk about it. It doesn't have to be as personal anymore either. might not feel as vulnerable right. if you're talking about fictional characters um, rather than real life. Right. And I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, I, I have some sources I usually use or tell people to use. But do you have some specific sources that you encourage people who have questions to look at or read? Because there's a lot of awful stuff out there. And, I, I, you know, it's hard enough to find things that are um, compassionate and informative and positive. So I would, do you have any suggestions for that? Oh my goodness. I think the number one thing is one, if you're willing to look up and learn, then you're already halfway there. I mean, Mm -hmm. that, that is the number one step that you have to take to learn. I would say that I think, I mean, and this is more of a general answer, but that most of the really, really awesome compassionate resources um, about learning more about the LGBTQ community and learning more about various gender identities and sexualities is happening on social media. Um, mm-hmm. That if you like type in these identities into Instagram, you can find these wonderful creators, um, especially in the bookstagram community, which I've, I've been so lovingly embraced into um, as an author that are, um, you know, for instance, one bookstagrammer um, is a baker and she bakes cookies, and these cookies are cookies for change, and every cookie has a different, you know, fact or interesting tidbit on it, and what she does then in the comment section is talks to you about an identity. She talks to you about um, what's going on in the political landscape. She talks to you, and, and following these creators is, like, a really interesting way to get a small dose of something new every day or every other day that can kind of open up your mindset and start you asking questions. I also think that's a great way too, because it's a two-way platform. So if you have questions, you have access to that creator in the comment section. You know, they might not be willing to answer your question. They might not have all the answers, but you can open up a dialogue. And I think we learn the most through dialogue. Right. Interaction. And and you can say, just right. And I've done this before on social media. I'll say honest question, you know, Cohen, and I'll ask, because sometimes Sometimes people, your social media is so knee-jerk sometimes to get people to be sarcastic. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, basically the state, honest question, and then and say what you want to say. And a lot of times you'll, you'll, you'll get people who will truly try and help. Um, for anyone out there, uh, there's a website also called realmamabears.org, Real and it's a supporting, educating, and empowering parents of LGBTQ kids and the LGBTQ community. And I learned about them through watching Shits. They had written into Shits Creek and told them how 
much they appreciated the representation on the show. And so, you know, the yeah. reading this letter and the whole cast, Bobby, you know, they were um, talking about it. So, I mean, there are good resources out there. And um, so just ask. And I, there's so many people who want to help. There's so many people. Yeah. So don't be afraid Completely. to ask. Yeah. Yeah. Well, please come back in October and talk about your next book because I want to hear all about it. Although I will say I probably will get an advanced copy, but I would very much like you to come back and talk to everyone else about the book who hasn't read it yet. (laughs) Absolutely. I would love to. Yay. So we have been talking, or I've been talking to Timothy Janowski um, of the book Never Been Kissed, just came out. You can get it all over the place. You can get it at Barnes & Noble. I'm thinking it's a Target as well and Walmart and different places um, like that. Uh, yes, I believe okay. you can buy it online at those stores, but uh, Barnes & Noble is definitely your best bet, and you can also get it from your local independent bookstore. Excellent. And I have his website where you can sign up for his newsletter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. It's all on there. And thank you so much uh, for being on the show today, and I cannot wait to read this next book. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And that's, that's it, everybody. For This is Patricia W. Fisher with Readers Entertainment Radio. Keep on reading. This show brought to you by Circle of Seven Productions, www.cosproductions.com. Please be sure to subscribe and welcome to our circle. 